0: Okay, let's, uh, let's open up the prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. Uh, Lord, just to have this opportunity to come to worship you, to study your word. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we just uh, pray that uh, you would be with us as we study, that you would cause us to consider uh, what your word says, that we would uh, consider uh, the state of our heart, um, what it ought to be, what it um, sometimes is, despite our desires, and uh, God, just that you would um, use these things to cause us to, to seek to, to um, conform our will to your will, and uh, Lord, just that we would honor you uh, with the way that we live our lives, we pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, so we are continuing our study of understanding the heart, Um Again, we are following uh, Craig Troxell's book, With All Your Heart, uh, where he identifies three aspects uh, of the inner life that the Bible uses the word heart for, uh, the mind, the desires, and the will. Um, and we've looked at uh, the mind and the desires, and we're in the midst of looking at uh, at the will of the heart. And last week, uh, if you remember, uh, we talked about how... Um, we we have uh, in 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 our disobedience to God we have both a strong will and a weak will uh, just the idea of a of a strong proud stubborn heart uh, that is unwilling to submit to God um, but then also uh, the idea of a of a weak will a will that is enslaved to sin that is unable to stand up against temptation. Um, and so this morning we're going to be expanding on those things as we as we look at um, at the heart, um, the rebellious heart and its transgression. So one of the words that the Bible uses uh, for uh, the violation of God's law is transgression. Um, how would you define transgression? What what does that word signify to you?
1: Any thoughts? It's a uh... Doing what ought not to be done—it's going against some a standard that's been set up. Mm-hmm. And do the opposite of that. Yeah.
0: It's, it's going against a standard.
1: Any other thoughts?
2: I was going to say willful disobedience.
0: Willful disobedience. Yeah.
2: Um, I know just just personally,
0: as I thought about it, you know, was like I I tend to think of it in terms of like you know like there's there's a line and you're crossing that line um but it is interesting that it uh i wouldn't have thought this just as our, from our english usage but um, it definitely does have the idea of a very willful disobedience um it, it specifically carries the idea of rebellion uh, so it's a willful open and brazen defiance of authority um, notice how the the following passages um, in the following passages transgression runs parallel to rebellion. It's just you you see this pop up over and over again in Scripture. Um, In Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 and 21, it says, Behold, I send an angel before you uh, to guard you on the way and bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression." for my name is in him. And then in Psalm 5, verse 10, it says, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. And then in Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 42, We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. And then in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 38, I will purge out the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. And then finally, Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 3. And he said to me, son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. So the idea of of transgression and rebellion is often just put side by side in scripture. Uh, Just because in the the Hebrew those words go uh, very close together. Uh, In fact, sometimes uh, the translators will even translate the Hebrew word for transgression as rebellion if the context warrants it. Um, uh, An example of that is when after the death of Solomon Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Uh, it says in First Kings chapter twelve, verse nineteen. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day, and literally that's transgression. Uh, that you know, literally it's so Israel has been in transgression against the house of David. Uh, but it's just clear from the context that the idea there is rebellion. It's that uh, that they have refused to submit to the house of David. Uh, and have have set up their own uh, separate king in the northern kingdom. When our will chooses to depart from what God has commanded us, it is rebellion. Uh, Consider God's warning against false prophets uh, who would lead the people astray. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 5, it says, uh, But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God has commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And so these people that they're they're, uh, encouraging people to leave the way that God has called for them to walk Uh, These people are uh, being—they're teaching rebellion. Um, Now, in spite of this, um, you know the people of Israel got this—they got this warning. uh, Throughout the history of Israel, they were marked by rebellion against God. And this wasn't to a man, but it was something that you saw over and over again. If you're familiar with the Old Testament and the, the history of the people of Israel. Um, And God calls them out on this over and over again. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 23. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart, and they have turned aside and gone away. Um, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. And then later in chapter 65, verse 2. Uh, God says, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in the way, walk in a way that is not good following their own devices. And so, over and over again, you see that the people of God, um, even though they have been <coughs> given his law, they've been warned not to rebel, um, they over and over again would rebel against God. They're. Their hearts were stubborn. Their hearts were hard um, and disobedient to God. Another term for this uh, attitude um, towards God's command is lawlessness. Um, First John chapter three, verse four, it says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So, what do you think of when you when you hear the word lawlessness? That's another one of those words that you know we use in our everyday speech. What what kind of ideas pop up in your head?
1: Basically, kind of like an anarchy type things. Mm-hmm. Not not bound by the law at all. You know, right.
0: Yeah, I mean, anarchy is definitely <clears throat> one of those words that you know that is often associated with lawlessness in our day. I mean. You think of, uh, you know, some of the things that have been in the news within the last few years, um, and just, you know, riots and so forth. You know, and it's like, well, yeah, this is this is lawlessness. Um, so definitely, this idea of of anarchy, um, and I, you know, that's a very obvious thing, right? That's just like they are completely disregarding the laws of the land in that case, and they're just doing it very openly. Um, and oftentimes, when we speak of lawlessness in terms of the law of God, you see the same thing. You see people that are just very openly defiant against the law of God, and just deliberately, flagrantly violating God's law, and just making uh, making it a virtue, in a sense, that they're doing that. Um, but will it always be obvious if somebody has a heart of lawlessness?
2: No? elaborate? Well, you you think about hypocrisy mm-hmm. and stuff. And, I mean, the even take the Pharisees, for example, mm-hmm. you know, would have been a prime example that the people looked at them and they would have thought, I want to be like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wouldn't have seen that they had a heart of lawlessness. If you'd ask anybody, they would have said they're adamant followers of God.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right.
0: And that's, and in fact, the very <coughs> example... Um, that uh, Troxel brings up here in Matthew chapter 23, uh, verses 27 and 28. Uh, Jesus is, is uh, speaking um, and he says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, "'for you are like whitewashed tombs, "'which outwardly appear beautiful, "'but within are full of dead people's bones "'and all uncleanness. "'So you also appear uh, outwardly appear righteous to others, "'but within you you are full of hypocrisy, and lawlessness, and so yes, um, it's very much the case that that even though, like outwardly, they, they look like they're obeying God's law, um, their their hearts are full of lawlessness. Um, that's 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 what they're they're actually characterized by, even if the outward appearance, uh, just through hypocrisy, looks very different. Um, The rebellious heart also uh, does not listen to God. Um, Psalm uh, 81, verses 8 and then verses 11 through 12, that says, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsel. So there you see the, the stubborn hearts of the Israelites uh, in this instance, uh, as they, uh, as God is, is, is calling on them to, to listen to his commands, but their stubborn hearts refuse. They want to follow their own counsels, so they don't submit, they don't listen to God. Um, when uh, Israel was in the wilderness, um, did they listen to God and trust his provision? No, they hardened their hearts in rebellion. Um, in Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verse 15, quoting Psalm 95, says, uh, As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in rebellion. So, uh, they were they were to listen to God. They were to obey God. They were to um, trust in him for his provision. Um but they instead, they harden their hearts with rebellion. Um, And this doesn't uh, only tell us what the Israelites did, uh, but it warns us as well. We should listen to what God tells us in his (laughs) word and not harden our hearts in rebellion. That's the warning. That's, um, in fact, this this comes from, from years later in the Psalms where it's saying today if you hear his voice, don't be like that. Don't be like those people who Refuse to listen to God. um, But submit yourselves to the law of God. Uh, Follow what he says. Um, Psalm, let's see, uh, sorry. Um, And um, and though we have transgressed God's uh, commands and rebelled against him, yet there is hope. Um, As David prayed in Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. He says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So those transgressions uh, were forgiven. Um, you know, David is is here praying for that. Uh, but also we see in Psalm 32 um, that uh you know that that basically, that David elaborates on this and and talks about this forgiveness. Psalm 32 verses 1 through 5, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away uh, through my groaning all day long. For uh, day and night, Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And so, um, though we often do transgress, um, there is forgiveness. uh, But we should examine ourselves and do we have hearts that are uh, just bent on transgression um, or is this um, something that's just still a remnant of the sin that's that's within us um, where where is our heart directed um, and when we're forgiven what's the basis on which we're forgiven it's on the basis of the work of Christ right um 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in uh, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them uh, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So our trespasses against God, our transgressions of his law, our uh, open and willful rebellion is reconciled in Jesus Christ. And this is pictured in the scapegoat uh, who bore the transgressions of the people. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21, uh, the, the regulations for how to perform the, 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 on, the, on the Day of Atonement, how to, how to deal with the, uh, the scapegoat. Um, it says, And Aaron shall lay his, uh, both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. Um, and so there is very much a, a, a picture of what Christ does, that our sins are laid on him. And taken out of the presence of God, and when we consider uh, Christ's life, uh, Christ's will was not hardened uh, and rebellious to the task set before him. Rather, he submitted to the will of the Father with a willing heart. Uh, that was that was his attitude. So, again, uh, one of the ways that uh, that the uh, the will of our heart is, is distorted and turned against God, is that it is stubborn, it is hard, it is rebellious against God. It's a, it's a strong heart. Uh, also, um, there is the, the weak heart, um, the, the heart that is enslaved to sin, the heart that is unable to fight against temptation. Uh, we talked about that uh, last week as well, um, that uh, a, uh, a, diso- a disobedient heart displays strength in its stubborn rebellion when it should be submissive, and weakness when it should firmly resist sin. <clears throat> in fact, the rebellious heart is completely under the power of sin. Um, and. I think we quoted this last week, John 8, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But God redeems us from this slavery. Uh, This is pictured uh, in the slavery of Israel to the Egyptians. Uh, Their obedience was to flow out of God's redeeming work. Uh, Consider the, the preface to the Ten Commandments. Does anybody remember what the preface to the Ten Commandments says?
1: I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Very good. Yeah. Um, bondage, on what's that? Or, or bondage, depending on the translation. Right.
0: Yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's the idea of slavery or bondage. Um, right out of the right out of the catechism. Um, but yeah, the the people of Israel they were in slavery. Um, and um, and God brought them out. And that's the, that's the preface to the Ten Commandments as he's laying out. Here's the things you are to do. And it's based on um, their obedience is based on the fact that God has redeemed them out of slavery. Um, and you see that pop up over and over again uh, where... They're, they're called back to, to remember their slavery as they're called to obedience to God. Uh, just one example, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 12, says, You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. In the same way, uh, our obedience to God is enabled and motivated by our redemption from our slavery to sin. Uh, Paul tells us uh, that in Christ, we are no longer enslaved to sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And so there, he's, he's saying, it's like, This happened so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. When we died with Christ, our union with Christ, put us in a situation where we're no longer enslaved to sin because we have died to sin. Um, And with our will set free, we are encouraged to resist sin. Down in uh, verse 12, it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Uh, to make you obey its passions. Um, so
2: who do we obey?
0: Whoever we obey displays who our master is. That's Paul's point there. If you're obeying Christ, Christ is your master. If you're obeying, if you're obeying sin, um, it doesn't mean you're you're free. You're in fact enslaved. You are. Uh, enslaved to your passions. Uh, Paul uses similar language in Galatians. uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. In the same way, uh, we also, when we were children, uh, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And then in verses 8 and 9, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles uh, of the world, whose slaves you want uh, to be once more? So notice the the contrast there in in Galatians 4. Uh, uh, Paul talks about how we were formerly and how we are now. Uh, You were enslaved... But now you know God. And also notice that that Paul uh, Paul corrects himself in this passage. It's something you don't often see in Scripture. Is an apostle correcting himself? Um, why does he speak this way? What do you think?
1: I mean, knowing is referring to loving to a certain extent, and and we love because he first loved us. Um, I it all starts with God, okay. and uh, and going back to the enslaving, He's the one who set us free. Right.
0: Yeah. So it it points to God as the one who actually has accomplished this. I mean, uh, uh, you know, in, in a sense, He's correcting Himself. I mean, uh, obviously, He wouldn't have said um, that we have come to know God if it wasn't actually the case that we have come to know God. But then He wants to to really emphasize the fact that. You know, the, really the important thing is that God has come to know us. God is the one who has taken the initiative and who, uh, who, has, um, who has set his love upon us, who has broken the chains of slavery. Um, Paul also expresses his bewilderment um, in this passage, um, that the, the Galatians would actually choose to be slaves again. Um, it's just like you guys were slaves, and and now you're you're making choices to go back again. Um, I mean, it's it's if you think like in terms of like uh, American slavery, which obviously was a you know not not a thing you know back in back in Paul's day, but but it, I mean I think it really breaks it home when you think of the 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 life that uh, that people lived um, in the American South during slavery. Um, and if they if they escape and, and make their way to the north and just think of it as like them deciding oh I'd like to go back and be a slave again in the south I mean it was just, it's just it's something you can't really fathom why would you ever choose that, um, but oftentimes we as as Christians we've we've been free from that enslavement to sin, but sometimes we we you know we feel that tug of temptation that we're drawn back. Uh, to to that life of sin we we think of the pleasures we had um, and we we forget about all the the you know the horrors that go along with that um, and it's it's really like if we think about it reasonably it's a it's a very strange thing it should be shocking to people that we would want to go back to that but i mean sometimes we find ourselves uh, thinking that way and we ought to reevaluate that it's like really i'm 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 trying to go back and and become a slave again Uh, this is not something that we should desire Uh, titus chapter three verse three uh, paul says for we ourselves were once foolish we ourselves were once foolish disobedient led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy Hated by others, and hating one another. So here again, he's talking about us being slaves to our various passions and pleasures. Um, and then uh, Peter uh, warns of false teachers. Uh, he says of them in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 19, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. Now, when you think about um, our day, I mean, we we live, um, you know, here in America where we have a a a heritage, a history of a large amount of Christianity, a large amount of Bible teaching, uh, but it's you know it's very obvious that uh, that by and large the, the the nation is moving away from that. They're they're very much. Rejecting that idea, and oftentimes you see that in terms of people looking at the the law of God and viewing it as as a, a as a constraint on them, as something that's uh, that's keeping them from good things, uh, and uh, you know very much shackling them, um, and that when they, you know, when they decide to reject those things, they speak in terms of being liberated or being emancipated. I mean, you often hear this type of terminology that, you know, they're no longer enslaved to these, uh, these silly, um, you know, notions of morality that you see in Christianity, but they're, they're emancipated. They're able to, to go out and do whatever they want. Um, what's, I mean, as we, as we consider these things here that the that the, the Scripture says about slavery to sin, what's the what's the problem with that attitude?
1: Yeah, you're a slave to your passions and evil desires. You're a slave to <laughs> Satan. You're a slave to, in some ways, the world. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Is, can you can can you or someone else flesh that out more? I mean,
2: what is that? Well, I I think of like kids on a playground mm-hmm. at school, and if it's all you know, if it's in the inner city and it's all fenced in, mm-hmm. you could say those kids are imprisoned. Mm-hmm. You know, they're bound, but actually, they're being protected from all the dangers of drug dealers wanting to do sell them things or getting out in the street and getting killed or things like that. So. You know what might appear like a fence or a cage that holds us in, which is what the world tells us Mm -hmm. that God's law does. It actually protects us. And if you, they've even done studies actually where they've taken playgrounds and they've removed the fence, Uh and they found that all the kids played in the middle of the playground because they didn't feel that security. But when the fences were up, Uh then they played all the way out to the fence because Uh they felt that security that they were safe and things. So. It is sort of that way with God's yeah. word as well. Yeah, no,
0: that's that's a that's a good illustration. I've never I've never heard that, but yeah, that's I mean, that really is the case that that the law of God it it protects us. Um, it it can look like it's like this horrible, constraining thing, but it actually protects us. Ben,
1: uh, I know I got this from the Trip Brothers, but uh, Ephesians six one through three, it talks about children obeying their parents, honoring your father and mother. Um, which is first with promise that they go well, you live well on the land, and they talk about that as a, a circle of blessing, basically. Generally mm-hmm. speaking, you know, mm-hmm. those things happen, but the contrary is also true. Basically, what <clears throat> Pastor Franks was saying, you know, and what he said too, it's like as you step out of that, then there's dangers in the world, mm-hmm. and, and you don't have that.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the law of God provides a, a, a great deal of protection. Um, what about looking at it from the flip side? Um. You, and if you if you reject the law of God, you're you're losing that protection. But what else is going on? Are those people really free? Now, why not?
2: Well, they're free to act according to their nature, uh-huh. you know, which is their sinful nature. So, right. you know, they really are bound to tied to that, mm-hmm. sort of like being tied to an anchor. You know, it's just going to take you in one direction.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, that's, a good illustration. It is, it is sort of like being tied to an anchor because it's like, how much freedom do they have? I mean, when you think of, I'm, I'm assuming that, that uh, most of you know people who basically just live according to their passions. Um, when you, when you look at the way they live, do, do they live in a way where they have freedom? they no, they're, they're, the, I mean, you can see the idea of you know the, the biblical terminology being enslaved to their passions. Um, they they just follow whatever it is that um, that their that their most base instincts drive them to, and they find it very hard uh, to resist anything that they want. The, the self control is something that they just don't have. I mean, you see people just following all sorts of destructive behavior that they can like, they can even see it. They can look at their lives and and see that they are doing things that are destructive to their long-term happiness, but they're just they're just wrapped up in uh, the passions of the moment.
2: I yeah, I was just gonna say, they, they also have to work really hard mm-hmm. to try to maintain that control, you know, and whether it's somebody who's barely making ends meet or somebody who's filthy rich you know they, they have to really work hard to, to try to continue to, to be able to follow their passions where in Christ because the Lord does these things and we look to Him there's actually a sense of rest mm-hmm. you know that comes as well Right. as we can trust Him with that He will do these things we don't have to make those things happen
0: right yeah, yeah. no that's true yeah and I don't know I'm just Thinking about like when you hear about somebody who suddenly becomes very wealthy, and they're able to just follow their passions, and just you know how you you hear that their you know their lives are destroyed uh, uh, by it. I mean, as I've seen like you know where people have done statistics on people who won the lottery, and it's like the the vast majority of them wind up very unhappy uh, shortly after they win the lottery. It's the rare person who. Uh, handles that lottery winning in a wise manner uh, usually they just wind up you know broke and miserable um, so I mean the the reality is is if um, if you just if your passions are your master if your your selfish desires are your master um, you don't have control over that you're you, you just have to follow that um, and I mean that's what you see people uh, people Live. Um, uh, if, we, uh, if we give in to our every desire, we lack self control and we're vulnerable to devastating consequences. And the book of Proverbs uh, addresses this as well. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 uh, says, a, a man without self control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Um, it just puts you in a state where, uh, I mean, one thing that it does is it, it makes you very vulnerable to manipulation. If you're a person who just lacks self-control and you just do impulse things, uh, then people who want your money are going to, you know, they're going to persuade you to impulse buy and, I mean, just all sorts of things. It's like if people are controlled by their passions, then um, then somebody's going to come along and they're going to they're gonna take advantage of that and they're going to get you to do things that you probably don't really want to do uh, because you really just can't say no to whatever, you know, whatever buttons they are pushing. So this life is a, a, with this weak heart, with this inability um, to stand up to sin. Um, it's, a, it's a life of, of, of slavery. Um, a weak heart also um, is full of fear. And we talked about this some um, uh, last week as well. We talked about you know just like the idea of the of the melting heart, um, but the disobedient heart is weak with fear. Uh, Proverbs chapter twenty nine verse twenty five says, uh, "The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe." Um, and this is something that we see uh, a great deal. We see it a great deal in our own lives. We see it also. Uh, in scripture. Just the idea that, that people uh, they're, they're fearful of men and so they behave in ways uh, that they don't really wouldn't choose to, but their fear drives them to this. Um, multiple examples in scripture. Um, we think of, of uh, King Herod um, and uh, he had arrested John the Baptist and he didn't have any desire to do anything harmful to John the Baptist he wanted to keep him in prison talk to him um, but uh, he wound up executing John the Baptist and the thing that motivated him to do it was fear fear of man uh, mark chapter 6 uh, verses 20 22 and 26 just to skip through the relevant parts of the of the of the, of the narrative uh, says for herod feared uh Feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and kept him safe. Uh, when he heard him, it was, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. And then in verse 22, For when uh, Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And then in verse 26, And the king was exceedingly sorry because of his oaths and his guests, and he did not want to break his word to her. So, I mean, at first, there's there's some fear of John there because this this is a this is not a normal guy here. Uh, but ultimately, he feared uh, the loss of reputation of making this promise in front of all of these guests, and then having to go back and say, "No, I'm not actually going to fulfill my promise." Uh, his fear of man there caused him to to be willing uh, to execute an innocent man. Um. And then, uh, when we consider Pilate, um, as he uh, realizes that Jesus is innocent, um, and is, you know, considering the question, do, do, I, do I spare him or do I execute him? Um, fear again was the driving motivation here. Matthew chapter 27 verse 18, uh, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered them up, so uh, that had delivered him up. So he he knew that it wasn't that there was something um, wicked in Jesus deserving of death, uh, but they had their own motivations. But then in verse 24, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And so he saw, it's like, man, I'm, I'm gonna have a riot on my hands. This is not gonna be good. Uh, for my government of this region, um, I'm just going to have to kill this guy because otherwise there's going to be bad consequences for me. Um, we think of, of uh, Samuel. Um, he was in a situation where he was, um, where he was commanded um, to wait for, sorry, uh, we think of Saul uh, he was commanded to wait for Samuel to arrive before he uh, before he presented the sacrifice, um, but in the end he went ahead and presented the sacrifice before Samuel arrived. Um, and he told Samuel um, in First Samuel chapter fifteen verse twenty four uh, that he tra- transgressed the commandment of the Lord because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. And so the the people were getting restless because. Samuel wasn't there, and he's like, yeah, I better just take care of this because I don't, I don't want the, the people to, to throw a fit. Um, we also see this um, with uh, Abraham. Um, again, these are, these are famous examples. Um, Abraham, he's traveling around, and he's got a very beautiful wife, um, and he could just be completely honest about everything. But he fears for his own life because he thinks, okay, they're going to kill me so that they can take my wife. And so um, he, you know, he tells people that, oh, yeah, she's my sister and has her do the same thing. Um, and you know, it's just because it's like, okay, well, if, if, if I'm her brother, then they're going to treat me nice, you know, and everything, everything will be fine. But if I say, yeah, she's my wife, then my life's going to be in danger. Um, and so. Just the fear of man uh, drove him to behave in ways that uh, he wouldn't otherwise, to to violate the law of God. Um, And then, uh, let's see, and then then his son Isaac, um, if you remember, wound up doing the exact same thing. He kind of learned from his father that, like, this is a good way to avoid getting killed because you have a pretty wife. But the fear of man was the thing that that drove them. Um, In uh, Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 14, it says King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet and received him at the third entrance of the temple of the Lord. Um, Now, does anybody know why he... Uh, why he uh, um, called for Jeremiah at this particular place? It's because he didn't want people to know he was talking to Jeremiah. Um, He said, uh, in verse 19, uh, he said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Judeans who have deserted to the the Chaldeans, uh, lest I be handed over to them and uh, they deal cruelly with me. So he's secretly meeting with Jeremiah and trying to work things out because he's fearful um, he doesn't want people to know um, that he's uh, that he's uh, talking to this Jeremiah um, who is uh, such a problem um, and you think even of uh, uh, some of the um, some of the people who follow Jesus some of the people who who um, uh, Thought that you know that Jesus was actually speaking truth and they and they wanted to follow the things that he was saying Uh, in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And so, the fear of man was the thing that they were really concerned about, Uh, they were. They were concerned about having a good reputation um, with the uh, with the Pharisees, with the, the the people who were viewed as the you know the religious uh, high people. Um, the truth was less important to them. Um, Jesus was there speaking truth, and the fear of man um, was more of a concern. Um, this is something that. Um, that we as Christians, I think, just really need to uh, just examine our hearts about, because it's a, it's it's something that's very tempting uh, to fall into this. We can we can look at the short-term consequences of the decisions we make and say, mm, yeah, if I do this, this is this is gonna this is gonna look bad, um, and it, you know it might be something very serious that like we're, you know we're concerned about you know, real harm to ourselves. Or it might just be, you know, things in terms of, of reputation. It's like, yeah, they might just think I'm a wacko if I, if I say this. Uh, so I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna hold my tongue. Um, or, um, if, if I don't, if I don't laugh at, you know, at these jokes that they're telling, then, you know, they're gonna think that I'm some kind of, you know, stuck-up, uh, religious guy, you know. Uh, so I'll, you know, I'll just join in. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that this manifests, um, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a symptom of a weak heart, of a, of a heart that is not uh, strong and resolute in our uh, desire to, uh, to follow God's law. Um, and then finally, um, the heart is, is weak in unbelief. Um, the truth of the gospel is not a message that we can disregard. Uh, to refuse to believe in the gospel is disobedience because it's not obeying the truth. First um, Timothy chapter one verse nineteen, Paul says, "Holding the faith and the good, holding faith and a good conscience uh, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith." Um, and so. Just, just this idea of of having faith in, in God, of of being strong um, in maintaining our faith, um, and not, uh, you know, falling into the temptation of, of weakness, of of turning away from God. Second uh, Timothy chapter four verse four uh, talks about uh, people turning away to listen, uh, turning away from listening to the truth. And wandering off into myths, God commands us to love the truth. Um, and if we uh, if we reject that, if we uh, are more enticed by uh, just falsehood, um, that's a that's a weakness of our heart. Um, uh, just. The, the the scripture is is very clear that um, that we have an obligation uh, to uh, to believe the gospel um, that it is uh, it is the truth um, it is uh, really just the just, I mean it's it's the essence of our salvation um, and the world will. Just constantly attack us, seeking to pull us away, seeking to um, cause us to to love other things, to uh, consider the the scriptures to be falsehood. Uh, there's all these temptations that come at us, and we need to strengthen our hearts, uh, our heart, put our hearts in a in a state where we resist these things and seek fervently to obey the law of God. Um, really, when we just consider this as a whole, um, our our hearts, again, are uh, considered from these three perspectives. Uh, the the idea of, of our mind, of our desires, and our will. And oftentimes, uh, our will struggles um, when, we, when our mind and our desires are at odds with each other, when we know what it is that we ought to do, um, but then our desires are for something else. And then our will you know, looks at these things and says, mm, well, I could do what I know I ought to do, or I could do what I desire to do. Um, and really, I mean, we need to try to get all of these things in line. Um, But even when we we see the situation where it's like, this is what we know is right, um, and this is, but then, you know, that we're desiring this other thing, we need to say, well, it doesn't matter what I desire. I need to follow what I know is right. And we need to make that choice, that our will needs to be directed that way. Um, But again, ultimately, all of these things, we should be seeking to get our minds correct. We should seek to to be thinking correctly about God and his word. Um, And we should be seeking to stir up the right desires in our heart and to put down the desires that go against God. And we should be seeking to have soft and submissive hearts when it comes to the law of God and also to have strong and resilient hearts when it comes to resisting temptation. Um, and the various things that seek to pull us away uh, from what God has commanded us. And ultimately, it's the work of God in us um, that is going to accomplish this. Um, That's kind of where we've ended with each of these things, as we've we've looked at the mind uh, and we've seen that that Christ the prophet is the solution uh, for the the mind of our heart, uh, and it's straying from God. And we've seen that Christ as priest is the redemption that we have for our, our uh, faulty desires. And he sets our desires in the right direction. Um, and then as we consider this next week, we're going to be looking at uh, how Christ the King uh, helps us in overcoming our wills that are uh, bent away from God and towards sin and causes it to, to flip around the other way so that our wills, Are submissive to God and are um, are strong in fighting against the power of sin. Any final uh, thoughts or or questions about any of that? Uh,
1: I I hope I'm not anticipating next week too much, but just thinking about how we need to be strengthened in Christ. Not that He. Struggle, not that he was struggling with inner temptations, but when his will need to be strengthened in the garden, Gethsemane, what he did was pray. Um, and that really seems to be like one of the primary means that he's given us to strength when we are weak, go to the prayer. Right. Um, because, and to remind ourselves what we do know, to, remind, to set our eyes on Jesus and to put our heart on him, our desires on him. Um, and, and with that, going back to what I was saying last week, um, the disciples weren't able to do that that night. Mm-hmm. They weren't able to stay in prayer. And it's something that needs to be strengthened over time right. in the day to day of the Lord willing. Really, so that you, when you do preach those times of trial, you can, you can yeah. stand firm in faith.
0: Yeah, yeah, prayer is definitely um, a. a Central part of that, and mm-hmm. as you as you say, I mean, it brings brings all these things together. So. Anything else?
2: All right.
0: Well, let's uh, let's close with prayer, Heavenly Father, uh, Lord. Just even as, as Ben was just mentioning that, um, that, Lord, when we pray we we can remind ourselves of the the truth that you have provided for us in your Word. Can uh, seek to to, to uh, direct our desires uh, to what they should be and and strengthen our resolve to fight against sin and lord i just pray that you would do that in us that we would uh, just truly submit ourselves to you that our wills would uh, not be focused on our own desires but lord that our wills would be submissive to what you have called us to do to do and um, Lord, that you would, by your, uh, by your power, by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, that you would help us to, to overcome sin, that our hearts would be directed uh, the way that they should be, and that you would be honored in your people. We pray in Christ's name.